Okay, and we're back, baby. We're back. Pushing Rubber Podcast, episode 51, uh, 2nd of August, 2017. Adam Pickett coming to you live, well, not live, recording from Holland. Um, living in a little uh, little town, oh, a little town, a little city, probably about 80,000 people, I think. And it's about, um, it's about halfway between Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Which it's it's a bit of a commuting town, which is really good, uh, and it's my my wife's hometown as well. So that's um, that's the reason that we've come back here. And because I'm recording again, for those of you who were listening to this podcast and know everything that was going down, you know that um, we uh, we moved to Holland, obviously, and. Um, and yeah, uh, all that stuff arrived. Uh, all that stuff arrived yesterday. What's today? Today's Tuesday, isn't it? No, today's Wednesday. All that stuff arrived on Monday. Um, it's, I tell you what, we are expert, expert movers, man. We are really expert movers. I mean, so my wife arrived ten days ago, or oh, two weeks ago today, and less than two weeks after she got here. Um, all that stuff was here. I'd already been here for a month um, because I'm, someone needed to come early to lock down a rental property uh, that we uh, found. And it's actually really hard to find rental properties here. Um, people tend to purchase homes more than um, more than they rent. So it's actually more expensive to rent than to buy. Um, so we're paying 1,100 euros a month in rent and if we were to buy this place um, for what I reckon it's worth, you'd be looking at around uh, 600 euros a month for your mortgage if you if you did like a, a long mortgage, like a 30-year mortgage or something like that. So um, it's actually, it, it's so it's a, it's a real estate economy that's not, hasn't been completely distorted by um, artificial elements um, like Australia's has. So we're actually in the in the process now of looking for a place to buy, which is kind of exciting because I've never owned a um, I've never owned a house before. Um, and uh, yeah, man, two hundred thousand, two hundred and fifty thousand euros will get you something um, really nice here, something really nice actually. Whereas that amount of money in Australia will get you a shoebox on the side of the road, uh, maybe maybe a shoebox. That's um, uh, that's that's pretty high class now in Melbourne. Um, so, um, all my stuff arrived on Monday, which is, it's kind of like a little, uh, it's a little Christmas thing because we got the professional movers to do it. We paid for decent ones. And I have to say it was pretty, uh, it was pretty seamless. And, um, and so they wrapped up everything. So everything's wrapped up in this, this gray paper and everything. You're opening this stuff. And it's like, I wonder what this is going to be. And it's all like a thousand little presents. <laughs> And there's some stuff that we bought, you know, that with this, that, I mean, we had a whole container, so everything just kind of went in there. Um, but I unwrapped it and I'm like, why do we, why do we move this halfway around the world? I don't understand, you know. Um, like here on my desk here, I've got this little, this little squeegee plastic pig here from a company called Baker Hughes. I don't even know what, what that is. And it's called Pigging Down Under and... 
my wife thought it'd be funny and, and why did I why did I why didn't I just throw that in the bread? Why did I move that halfway around the world? Um I don't know. There's there's a whole bunch of other stuff as well I'm looking at like like we threw out a lot of shit uh in Melbourne and I threw out a lot of clothes. I had a lot of clothes that I'd kind of been holding on to. Um kind of like my old rafting days, you know casual kind of nightclubbing when I owned the bar in Italy as well and I hadn't worn this stuff for six years and I was looking at going man you're not gonna wear this stuff again so all that went in the bin um I should have given it to my you know slobbering slavering fans who are desperate for any part of my life oh, well, too bad I missed out on some money there um I threw out a, I threw out a lot of shit I threw out the helmet motorbike bike helmet that I rode across Australia with all the years ago at the start of my book I was thinking like man what's maybe it was the book becomes really huge and they make a movie one day maybe this will be, ah fuck it out it goes fuck it who gives what the fuck what a because what a what a what a really poxy obnoxious thing to think about yourself oh you know here's something of mine that i did and and well you know one day but aha and that shit only happens when you're dead you know that shit only happens when you're dead i think of like great artists like during, during their life you know the poor no one give a shit of them you know van uh, you know him as van gogh van gogh or Van Gogh, but it's actually, it's he's Dutch, right? But it's Van Gogh, Van Gogh. That's how you pronounce it, yeah? This is the, I'm kind of getting my head around the Dutch language because they all speak English, but you, you need to learn language if you're going to be in a place. So, pronunciation. But Van Gogh, you know, I mean, like his whole, uh, his whole life, he was just like, he's so poor he had to cut off his own ear to eat it. Yeah, it's pretty fucking poor, man. You know, couldn't, didn't, couldn't afford paint. Used to use uh, women's menstrual blood for red or something. That's what I've heard anyway. So I hope you haven't got one of his paintings. That's pretty revolting. Um, so what, what, a, what an obnoxious thing to think that some of my stuff is going to be worth some money. I don't know. Anyway, so I got my stuff and I got my computer. Uh, I got my microphone. Um, and uh, it's all here. So I'm now recording my podcast, which has been on hiatus for all this time. So what I want to talk about is you, my thoughts. I've got some notes written down here uh, on Holland. We'll call this the, uh, the the Holland episode, the Dutch episode. Now, just some, uh, and these are in no particular order. I've just written them down as they kind of come to me, and I've seen things. I've had a bit of a list here, and, and I've gone through it a bit as well. There are some really positive aspects uh, to living here in Holland. Uh, there's also some aspects which are, which are negative, which I actually prefer it back in Australia or in Italy or something like that, believe it or not. Not Africa, of course. The only good thing about Africa is like, you're on the plane and it's saying you're now leaving Africa. So it's like, fucking yay! Dutch observations. Um, let's start off. This is in no particular order. Butchers. So... Um, I mean, I like to cook, obviously. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, really big into cooking, uh, which a lot of you know about. Um, Dutch butchers are, so you can either buy meat at the supermarket, and I, I have a rule, I never buy meat at the supermarket, ever buy. I, just, I, I always, I had a really good butcher that I went to in Melbourne, in Hawkesburn. Uh, now that I'm not living in Melbourne, I can say where I was, so South Yarra. Uh, on Malvern Road there, there's a, um, there's a butcher's uh, in the little Hawkesburn precinct. And uh, is the only one there, and oh, Krista, great butcher, really, really good butcher. Had lots of hot chicks actually working behind the counter there, really nice, um, and just, just great. But the butchers here, so it's a supermarket, they've got meat. So the thing is about the Dutch is they don't know how to cook. They don't. 
Dutch cuisine, there is no Dutch cuisine. You get a raw herring in, on the side of the street and open your mouth and gobble it in like you're some sort of, you know, demented pelican without wings. I, I don't understand. You know, that's, this, this is not cuisine. Um, so they don't, they don't, they do bread really well. I'm going to say that, uh, and that's what most of their cuisine's based on. These people eat bread for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's like bread, 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 bread. Um, and that's why Dutch girls tend to be raving beauties at the age of fourteen and a half, and fat, ugly pigs at about thirty. Um, so you've got you got to pick on the good genes. Um, but uh, they don't really know how to cook. Yeah, they don't really know how to cook. And and butchers is really symptomatic of this. It's a really great example of how how this culture doesn't know how to cook. So I went yesterday. Part of the stuff that got delivered was my barbecue. I got a charcoal Weber barbecue. It's come all the way around the world to me. And I went and go out and got some good charcoal. And my brother-in-law is staying with us at the moment because he's on holiday and he just wants to hang out with his sister, my wife. Uh, and uh, and he doesn't know how to cook at all. He's a young guy. I think he's like 28. And um, and so I said, all right, well, you know, we'll get some. We'll go out. And, and I thought we'll make a roast, a roast chook chick, chook, a roast chicken, roast chook for dinner on the barbecue because it's the kettle. We have a kettle barbecue, yeah. So I uh, went down to the butchers and I'm like, and I got all the, the thing there and I got all the chicken. They've got, you know, the Marylands and the wings and the legs and the breasts and, and they're all plain. They haven't put anything on them. But uh, 80% of the stuff in the butcher that you, where you go there has been covered in some, it's pre-prepared, like it's got some sort of sauce on it or marinade or herbs or whatever. And I said, oh, can, I just, can I just get a chicken? And, and, and look, Anywhere else I've been in the world, even in, in Uganda, it's no biggie to go and buy a chicken. A whole chook. Just a whole chicken. That's all I want. Plain, yeah? Whole chicken, ready to go. Thank you very much. The way I like to prepare it is the French style. So stuff the cavity full of herbs, thyme in particular, um, thyme parsley, a little bit of coriander, some bay leaves. Um, stuff that fucker as full as you can get. And then you get good quality butter that's already been out of the fridge for maybe half an hour, so it's nicely softened. Then you just, using your fingers, you just coat the whole bird in the butter and then uh, season it liberally, lots of salt, a little bit of pepper. And then that's going to go straight on the barbecue. And you're going to have your barbecue at about 500 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and you're going you're gonna to start it. Uh, you're going to have it on the opposite side of the heat. Yeah, so you've got, uh, I had all the heat on one side of the barbecue and I put the, uh, the bird in a tray and about an hour and 20 minutes is what you need and I stuff vegetables around the chicken as well and you need to turn the chicken about three or four times um, and finish breast side up and, um, and then let it sit for about 10 minutes and it came, uh, I eventually got the chicken but it came out really well. So I'm at the butcher. I'm just like, I just want a chicken, man. I just want a chicken. And it's just like, they couldn't do it for me. They couldn't. The only thing they could get me is a frozen chick- chicken. That's the only thing they had. Because everything else that they had, every whole chicken that they had, they'd already prepared with herbs. Uh, and this is the thing, you know. The Dutch don't know how to cook meat. They don't know how to cook meat. They think on a bar. I've been to a few barbecues since I've been here with, with family and stuff and friends. And, and it's just like, they just burn meat. They've got no idea. They've got no idea what they do doing and they got no idea in the kitchen either they just so 
the way the butchers get around this is that the butcher, like here's what they do. They don't know how to prepare meat so the meat tastes good of its own. So yesterday we didn't just do a barbecue for dinner, we did a barbecue for lunch. And I got some sausages, big thick sausages. And my brother-in-law was like, oh, we're going to like cover them in herbs and we're going to spices and salt them. And I'm like, nah, no, dude, no, nah. we're just going to cut the sausages on the barbecue. And he was like looking at me as if I was insane. And so I showed him, you know, you sear the sausages over the charcoal, nice and hot. Then you need about two minutes or so on each side, if that, get them nice and looking nice and seared and then whoosh, move them to the other side away from the heat, lid on. We only did about 20 minutes for the size of these ones and came out. I split one down the middle. Handed it to him, it was, it was the best sausage you'd ever tasted because we cooked the meat correctly so you're getting the flavour from the meat. Now, Dutchies don't know how to do this, so to make up for this, to compensate for this, they just cover everything in spices and there's your flavour, apparently. Though it's not really what I call. And so they've got, they've got different spice mixes for everything. They've got a spice mix for meatballs, they've got a spice mix for chicken, they've got a spice mix for fucking everything, everything. And you just get it and they've already prepared it for you. This butcher couldn't give me a chicken. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And we went to another butcher. Couldn't give me a chicken. Went to another butcher that was specialising in barbecue stuff. And this is like, this is the 2nd of August. So, and they've got all this barbecue paraphernalia. And it only it's only summer in Holland for a very short time. And these people have just gone on holiday for two weeks. So that really makes a lot of business sense. So at that point, there was a supermarket next to it. And I went, ah, oh, fuck it. So I went in. I found a chook. They only have one. <laughs> that was it. They only have one. This is like, oh, we never sell these. Oh, we'll put one out, see what happens. Maybe an Australian will come in. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, and got the chook. And yeah, so I'm going to have to. I think I've been speaking to a few people because we're, it's a cool little town that I'm in because we're um, like just, if I walk five minutes from my house, I'm in the fields, literally in the fields and the little farms. So it's really easy to get around here. Uh, and I'm just going to make friends with local farmers and get fresh stuff. And I think that's the best way to go anyway. So that's one of the negative aspects. Yeah, the, uh, the chickens aren't that good. Uh, another negative aspect, let's go with the negative ones, Dutch bureaucracy. Now, I know that, that all bureaucracy everywhere is, is fucked. You know, that's... Uh, I'm just going to take these off. That's, that's a given. All bureaucracy everywhere is fucked. But... Dutch bureaucracy, so um, I needed this uh, I need this number, I think it's a BSN number, it's like a tax number or something like this, and you need this to be able to open a bank account, you know, anything you want here, you have to have this number. So I had to book an appointment with the council, and, uh, and I went down, and I had to take my passport, my British passport, so I got a British passport and an Australian passport, so I took the British passport down. I had to take a copy of my... Um, birth certificate, my marriage certificate, uh, I think that was it. And to cut a really long story short, well, I'm not, no, I'm not going to cut it short. So I'm sitting there and I give them the stuff and I'm waiting like 15 minutes. And eventually, I've been dealing with a woman who was maybe in her mid 30s. Anyway, she comes out, she's looking a bit worried, and she's got, and she's got this older woman. Like, if I, if you were wanting to cast someone in a movie where you had to be an older female bureaucratic bitch uh this woman would be would have been would have won the part that's all i can say um you know the the tall slightly stooped now because she's a bit older probably in the early 60s gray hair and just you know the the uh, attitude of uh 
of a, of a, of a, a pit bull with no friends. Yeah, it's just, uh, just awful. Anyway, she comes in and, and she could have come out and gone, look, you know, Mr. Pickett, um, we got good news and bad news. I mean, this is, this is how I would have handled it. Customer service, right? Yeah, public servants, what are we kidding? But customer service, I got, look, I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. Good news, you can get your number. You're no problem for your number, relax. Yeah, all you do is do the background checks, because it takes a few weeks to get number through. I actually got it through yesterday. Get your background checks, you're good to go. And I would have been like, okay, happy days. What's the, what's the not so good news? All right, the copy of your birth certificate that we've got, isn't really up to our standards and in the future if you want to have any purchase property with a notary and stuff like that you're going to need to have what this is what we want need you to get hold of from the australian certificate blah 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 your marriage certificate also needs a certain stamp on it uh, once again um it just it just it's not going to affect your number but it just ties you together with your wife in the system and it's all the dutch is all about the system if they if they come out with that approach to me I would have been absolutely, yep, no worries, fine. I would have been working with them. I would have been on their side. But they came out and she went, your birth certificate's no good. Your marriage certificate's no good. It's good, blah, blah, blah. And they just scribbled down on a post-it, literally on a post-it note, you have to contact this at the marriage certificate in, in England, blah, 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 blah. Kind of threw it at me. And that's all I knew. I didn't know that my I could still get my number or anything. So I'm just, and I've been, waiting two weeks for this appointment and a lot depended on me getting this number and I was absolutely furious, instantly instantly furious. And so I started doing pushback. I started asking questions. I'd be like, so what about this? What about that? Does it mean? And, and the old woman kept up saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she must have said it like half a dozen times. And at a certain point, at a certain point, I said to her, this is what I said to her. I said, stop saying you're sorry because you're not, okay? Don't say sorry when you're not sorry. You're not sorry at all. You're actually pretty happy that I'm in this situation right now, so just don't say it. And I was sitting down while I'm saying that, and they were across the decks, they're both standing, and the look on both their faces was like I'd taken a pole axe and smashed them across the face repeatedly. But I was just, I get, I get, this, I get this intense, when I get pissed with uh, petty officialdom, I get this intense, quiet uh, ferocity and and at that point as regards to me it's it's hero or zero I, i'm in a it's take no prisoners it's take no prisoners if you've got me to this point that i'm going to be talking to you like this now well then my intention is to wipe you over the floor absolutely wipe you over the floor um so at that point about two minutes after that the the, the older woman just bailed it's just like and then the woman that I originally dealt with kind of sits down and she's like, oh, yeah. And she goes, well, you can have your number for three months. And I'm like, straight away, I'm like, okay. Instantly, I'm like, okay, that's good. But, but secondly, I'm like, how can I only have this number for three months? Because this number means I can live and work, pay tax, get Social Security in it. How can you have that permission which means you're you're good to go and have it on a temporary three month. Because it was it's not a visa, okay? Don't it's not a visa. It's the actual. It's the number. You're good to go. You can't vote in elections. But apart from that, you're smicko. You're just like anyone else. Living there. It's just it doesn't seem possible. And she's like, oh well, rah, 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 you can't. Back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, at this point, my sister-in-law, uh, my my wife's sister, who works at uh, the same city council rocked up because she was supposed to meet me and she was a bit late 
she's like, oh, hi, Adam, how's it going? And the woman that I was dealing with didn't know that I had an in, that I knew one of the, the fellow staff members, though my sister-in-law works upstairs. She's more important than the downstairs people. And straight away, straight away, her tune changes. Suddenly now, it's not three months that I can have this number for. It's six months, just like that, six months. And I'm like, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to put my sister-in-law in shit. I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, you fucking cow. You fucking cow. It was always six months. And you just, you just tried to diddle me on it. But then we're going round and round and round because now my sister-in-law is not, is not impressed with what's going on. She wasn't understanding either. And at a certain point, I kept asking questions, and I realised that she's evading me. Not my sister-in-law, the woman who was I'm dealing with, petty officialdom. I realised that she was evading me. So I, you have to pin them down. Yeah, you have to pin them down because you'll ask them X, and then they'll start going on about Y. And it's got nothing to really to do, but it will seem like it's got something to do. And it's all these evasion techniques. So I just moved with it, moved with it, moved with it, moved with it. Because there's also this all over this birth certificate and marriage certificate because it's actually a pain in the ass to get um, what they wanted. And and I was fucked if I was going to help them out at this point. At this point, she was trying to make my life difficult, so I was just going straight back to make her life difficult as well. Because that's what I do when I'm pissed off. Doesn't make much logical sense. Well, it does, because I got what I wanted. So it'll hear me out. So... Um, at a certain point, I'm like, look, let's say six months, you're giving me this number for six months. And she's like, yes, okay. And for me to get the number on a permanent basis, you need to have a marriage certificate copy and a birth extract, birth certificate copy that's that's different from the ones that I'm giving you now. Yes, okay, good. So I said to her, what happens to my number in six months if I don't give you the two documents that you're saying, oh, well, we need the documents. So I went, no, and she went off on a tangent again. I'm like, no, 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 let's come back again. Let's, let's do it on hypothesis. It's six months' time I've got from when I've got my number and I don't bring in the two documents that you're requesting, what happens to my number? And it was kind of like you could see, like, the little the little computer chips burning out in a, behind a brain, just short-circuiting. Literally, I could see that. And her mouth was kind of like, her mouth was kind of in a, in a line and grimacing a little bit. And she tried to work out how on earth she was going to evade this question, but she couldn't. And she was forced to say nothing. And I said to her, so I'll still have my number after six months. Yes. And it was like pulling teeth from a chicken or something. And I said, so... These two documents, I don't need them. You need them for your own records. But you need them so you're able to tick your box. But fundamentally, it's your need. It's not mine. And she had to admit that that was the case. And that took about an hour. But I won. So, and I've got my number now. So, fuck you, Dutch bureaucracy. Uh, then I went in with my wife when she arrived a few weeks later. Because she had to get her number, even though she's got a number, she had to let them know. She'd signed out of the local council eight years or so ago when she she left to go and live with me in Italy. And so I'm there with her and she's uh, sitting on the same desk, but this time with a guy. And he's asking her questions like, uh, she's asking um, what she's doing in Holland. She's like, uh, oh, well, you know, I've come back, I've moved back to Holland to be with my 
close to my friends and family and blah blah blah. He's like, okay, okay. Uh, um, and he's like, uh, so why'd you come back? And she's like, kind of, oh yeah. And he's like, what are you going to do here? What is what is your job? And she's got, she's like, uh, don't forget, she's Dutch. She was born in this town, born and raised, went to school, went to university, all in this town, this very town we're sitting in, and she's getting the third degree. And what, what job are you going to do? It's just like, oh, I'm interviewed with a place in Amsterdam. So he writes down Amsterdam, blah, 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 blah. How long are you expecting to stay? And I was just like, I couldn't believe the questions. And here's the funny thing. They didn't ask me all this shit. They didn't ask me this shit. I mean, they gave me a lot of shit about my birth certificate and marriage certificate. They didn't ask me why I was here. They didn't ask me what I was going to be doing. You know, they didn't ask me any of these questions. And yet, native Dutch person returning to her country after eight years abroad, and it's, it's a third degree. Pretty fucking weird. Pretty fucking weird. And I heard afterwards it's got a lot to do with um, all these asylum seekers. They're getting so many asylum seekers come through. That's why it, a, it took me two weeks to get a uh, to get an appointment. But also, I think that they're just, in a way, just saying. In a way, it's good because it's. It, apparently, they're really tough on the asylum seekers. You know, I, I imagine what someone from Mogadishu and some is coming in and he's like, no, oh, the marriage certificate you got got here. It's written on crayon. Uh, written in crayon on a, uh, uh, an old back of an old piece of newspaper. By the look of it, uh, we'll need an official stamp. Eh, good luck with that. Anyway, um, so that was uh, that was my uh, that was my thing. Um, so let's go to some things, general observations, cool little stuff about living in Holland. Let's start off with a. A cool one. How about um, no helmets on bicycles and no helmets on on motor scooters? So you like your little Vespers and stuff like that. You don't. Have to, I've ne- I think I've seen one person wearing a helmet so far. I tell you, there's nothing as cool almost as seeing a grandmother whiz by you on a scooter on a Vespa at forty kilometres an hour with no helmet on. It's just something. It's just if you want it, freedom. That's freedom, boys and girls. And in, in Italy, they make you wear, they bought in the law about 20 years ago, you have to wear helmets when you've uh, got a little scooter. Here, no helmets, man. Nothing at all. Meh. God, you can smoke just about wherever you want. You can't smoke indoors in bars and restaurants, but apart from that, and everyone smokes. Everyone's smoking. Everyone's puffing away. It's great. I really think now it's a correlation with uh, the more a population smokes, the more the government's leaving them alone. In um, Maybe not such a great analogy with regards to China because they smoke like chimneys over there and we know what their government's like. But still, I tell you what, no helmets on scooters and, and push bikes. Absolutely fantastic. Credit cards. Dutchies just don't use credit cards. Um, and I had a bit of a problem because my Australian debit card from the bank just wasn't working over here. So I was kind of living off my American Express and which was a problem because so few places take them and the few places that did put the, 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 the people who are working there actually looking like wow you know look at this american express and it's one of those good ones wow they're looking at it looking at me not like in a bad way but in like you know we don't see these they don't have credit cards apparently my wife's family none of them have ever had a credit card in their entire life dutchies believe in saving money in being thrifty and in paying for something when you have the money. There you go, you pay the money. 
um, apart from really big purchases like a house. So it's it's quite uh, it's quite a positive thing, I think. And I, we're going to get rid of the credit card. We're going to get rid of it. Um, no car. So I've been here. I've been here just over a month. Haven't got a car. And I haven't ever needed one. Just don't need a car. So we're about a 10-minute walk from the train station. Um, and the centre of the town is about a 15-minute walk away, just the other side of the train station. Um, but everything we've been doing on the bicycle, I borrowed a bicycle off my mother-in-law. She's not impressed about that. And it's got big pannier bags on the back of it. I do my shopping with the bike, all of it. I just scoot around. So I can't do a huge shop, so I just do little shops all the time. Gee, the, the area is set up for bicycles too. It really is. Um, they, they Bicycles have right-of-way in lots of places and then cars have right-of-way in lots of places. They route the cars around the towns. So the, imagine the you've got the, the town centre itself. The railway line comes just off the centre. But as regards to the cars, the cars all kind of go around the outside. So to get from one side of town to the other to cross the railway line in a car takes about three times as long than if you did the same journey by bicycle. Because actually they, they route you all the way around the outside of the town to then get to where you need to be able to be. So what you have then is you have the, the main part of the town is, is, well, it's cars obviously when you eventually get to your house to where you need to go. Um, but otherwise it's just bikes and pedestrians and they're everywhere, man, bikes everywhere. <laughs> Um, like on a daily basis, the amount of there's probably a couple of thousand bikes parked at the railway station, and they've had like these multi-story bike park thing that goes up. Instead of for cars, it's for bikes. You can't park a car at a train station. You can sure park your bike though. It's 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 absolutely insane. And so um, I've just been doing my bike everywhere. You know, it's cool running around getting a bit of you know get a bit of exercise go to the shopping park my bike whoosh, scoot it in go in shops help supermarkets are kind of weird um there's a thing i don't do it of course because i look i'm not going to go into a supermarket and work yeah it's enough for me that i have to go and pick the stuff off the shelves that i want that's that's work enough um, but they had they were bringing this thing in in Australia where you then scan all your stuff and pay for it yourself while the staff member watches you because you know they're uh, not only are they making you work to get the stuff you know that they paid someone else previously to do, but then you have to pay for the privilege, yeah, and then you have to be treated like a would-be thief while you're doing it. So you're having this in in the supermarkets like Woolworths or Coles in Australia and Melbourne, you have like this area and there's like 10 of these self-scanning things and then there'll be one staff member just standing there with, with their arms folded watching everyone like hawk to see you know who's skimping out and not scanning all their items and you know they've scanned the carrot they've scanned the expensive figs for carrots or something like oh, i don't fucking know and i just find the whole thing preposterous so i always i always went to a an actual person who was serving me and I was, i'm not doing it um I don't have plastic bags in supermarkets here, which is a real pain in the fucking ass. So what you have is you have like, you can buy these much bigger bags and, and so you walk into the supermarket with your bag. It's kind of weird. I feel like an old grandmother doing it. But that is other thing where you can, you've got, you, you go and you have to have a, a membership to do it, but you, you get a scanning 
machine, like a little handheld one. And then you go around and you pick up an item off the shelf and you want you want it, yep, you scan it, tip, and you put it in your in your trolley. And then you do that for everything. And then when you get to the checkout, you don't have to take the stuff out of the trolley. You just put the scanner in and it says how much you have to pay and you pay it. And then they have like this lottery thing come up and, and it will randomly, like uh, I was talking to my sister-in-law, she said she's been checked like four or five times in, in a year where they'll just bing you and they'll go through and make sure that you actually scan everything and they've got a the person there to do that. But otherwise you're on the, your own and they're not there looking at you like a thief. So on the one hand, it's good. And on the other hand, I suppose it's fast. So I just, I object to it all. I object. I object. So that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Um, right, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about the actual neighbourhood itself. So this is this is the crux of the podcast today. <laughs> if this if this podcast is going to be controversial. Uh, it's probably about what I'm going to say. There's nothing like preloading uh, controversy. Um, but I'm living in a white neighbourhood again. I'm living in a white town. And by that I mean like whites. That's it. Neighbourhood I'm in now. And it's lovely, man. We've got this little street here. We've got one, two, three houses on that side, two houses on that side. We've Everyone has come and introduced themselves to us. We know everyone. We're having a housewarming party. All our neighbours are invited in a couple of weeks. Um, really friendly, real small community feel. People looking out for each other, uh, letting us know, you know, you can go here and blah, 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 and this is when you take the bins out. And, and just genuinely, genuinely nice people, genuinely nice neighbours. Um, and... and, and in Australia, you just never did that. You moved into a new place. You in Australia, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of turned into an angry society because there's so many people now stuffed into places like Sydney and Melbourne that it's it's literally survival. Here, I mean, it's Holland, you know, so it's a small country with 16 million people, but it just feels like I have more space in Australia. It's absolutely crazy to say that, and it's true. I'm in a white neighbourhood. There are no um, people of non-European descent that I have seen in this area. Inside the town itself, there are occasional Muslims and Moroccans that I see, very small numbers, and apparently they all congregate on one side of the town in the northern sector. Um, so they've kind, of, uh, they've kind of quarantined themselves off in their own enclave, which I'll get to in just a sec. But I just look after 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 Melbourne, where it was just overwhelmingly Indian and Chinese and Asian, um, and, and African. Just like I'd get I'd get a train and I'd be literally in a packed carriage if there was two or three other white people in, in a carriage in Melbourne. That was saying something. It was like spot the white guy. Hey man, yeah, there's only a few of us left. Um, but here, here I'm actually living in a white neighbourhood again. And you know what? It's really nice. It's really nice. We haven't had any problems. Never had any aggro. No one's ever looked at us funny. Everyone's really friendly. You walk down the street, people say hello to you. You bike past people in the morning and people wave at you. I don't know that. They're perfectly fucking strangers. It's liberating. It's it's sociable. It's pleasant. It's civilised. Hmm? It's civilised. And I tell you what... It is such a nice thing. It is so nice to be in a white neighbourhood. And 
And does that, well, people are just going to take that as if I mean, oh, I must hate all Indians and I must hate all Chinese. No, I don't. I don't. You know what? who I want to see if I go to India? I want to see Indian people. You know who I want to see if I go to China? I want to see Chinese. And here in Holland, I'm really enjoying living amongst the Dutch, like I really enjoyed living amongst the Italians. When I actually lived in Italy, up in the mountain, there was one, one African guy, one black guy, who lived in the valley. Uh, and he was a mechanic, and he moonlighted as a bouncer at my nightclub, at my late night bar. And very, very, very nice guy. Um, smarter than your average African, too. And uh, not too smart, but smart enough. African standards is a bloody genius. Um, and we were having a conversation one day, and he said, and I, I, you know, he'd been in the valley for almost as long as I had. He'd been there for several years. And he said something that always stuck with me. And he said, uh, I really like my life in the valley, but if uh, in the future, if a whole bunch of Africans move in, then I'm fucked. And what he meant by that is, is that as a, as a one-off, you know, he was an aberration as a unique entity there. He was accepted by the locals because he was a one-off. He was just like I was as an Australian. They were already, I was the only Australian in the whole valley, 15,000 people. There were two other Australians, but they were of Italian heritage. And that was it. If a thousand Australians moved into the valley, you know, for some reason, two or three years later, I'd be fucked. Because now you're an invading force. Now you're an invading um, demographic. And it's, it's, it's not good. Here I'm in a, I'm in a white neighbourhood and it's... Gee, it's nice. <laughs> Man. It's like when I grew up. It's like when I grew up. Um... And the Muslims keep to themselves on the other side of town. And, and that's another thing as well. The Muslims in Europe, and especially in... Uh, in and they don't, they don't like the Muslims here. Yeah? Like, I've been, I've been having conversations. I've been having... I'll be talk, people want to talk to me because I'm... I'm, uh, I'm foreign, but still white. And so I've, I've chatted to people on train station platforms... And, and I'm just of the opinion here that it's like, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to say what I think. That all the conversations that I haven't been able to have back in Australia because you have those conversations, you, you bring those things up at dinner parties and, oh, my God, yeah, are you, <laughs> are you blackballed? I've just been saying the same thing. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I tell them outright what's happened to Australia because everyone here has got this, got this image that Australia is all white, and that we stopped all the immigration because we stopped all the boats. That's what they get from their mainstream media. And I'm like, well, we might have stopped a couple of thousand people a year on boats, but we're bringing in over 200,000 a year from these exactly the same places. You know? So I don't know. Uh, uh, and then I explain to them what's happened in places like Sydney and Melbourne. And, man, they don't like the Muslims here, man. They don't. I think about 25% of the voting age population voted for Gerd Wilders. Dutch are going to be fine. They're also going to be fine because... In Australia, the Muslims and all the immigrants and everything, they're all just disseminated through the local population. Yeah, they're all, all spread through everything. Like you get yeah, your enclaves as well. Like in, in Melbourne, Doncaster was the little Chinese area. You you'd be guaranteed a badminton game if you went to Doncaster. Um, but uh, here, you know, I mean, like, they've got their enclaves. So, you know, there's your enclave, there's your ghetto. <laughs> and they eventually want to get rid of them. <laughs> it's going to be very easy. They said, I'm going to be rid of, get rid of just a couple of mortar rounds. <laughs> See ya. That'll be the controversial bit. Um, kids in the street. Kids ride their bikes. I'm not saying kids. I'm talking like five years old, man. Five-year-olds screaming down the, 
the street outside my house on their bike by themselves. It's school holidays. Mum and Dad nowhere in sight. Kids are down playing. There's a swamp playground. There's a swamp. God, it would be a great playground when I grew up because there's no snakes here. There's nothing. I'm, 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 I'm walking through areas and I'm like, in Australia, you'd be like, Tiger Snake City. Got to be really fucking careful. There's a tiger snake's going to leap out of these reeds here and just grab onto my nuts and never let go. Literally, uh, here, man, there's nothing you can go in anywhere, do anything you want. Kids are down here playing in the marsh. They're playing in the canals. No parents to be seen. No one gives a fuck. And I tell them stories about, you know, parents being arrested in Australia or America because they let their kids, 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds, get in the park by themselves or something like that. Parents leave their kids in the car here, no worries at all, while they run in to buy a packet of cigarettes. Sensational. Oh, my God, they let them do that. Oh, my God, that isn't safe. We have to protect them. We have to do something. Really nice. Lots of kids in the street. Lots of people in the street. Um, Today, I actually saw a little scene. There was an old man with a dog, and he was stopped, and there were two young girls probably around five or six years old who are and and they were wanting to pat the dog and the old man was just really enjoying having this contact with the young girls beautiful little girl kids and the kids were loving the dog and they were talking to the old man and it was just such a natural scene in australia as a man you can almost not do that now because you instinctively pull back because am i going to be are they going to think that i'm molesting the kids or something like that and it's really important and really healthy for older generations and younger generations to mix like that it was just so pure and innocent and the old man was just really enjoying it the kids were really enjoying it the dog was really enjoying it and it was just such a wonderful little scene that you just don't see anymore on the streets of australia i don't know about america or england or canada but i can imagine it's it's probably pretty rare there as well it was just um it was a beautiful little social scene and something's being lost from where I come from. And I see it all the time here. And that's the other thing. There was an article in XYZ magazine the other day about the sexualization of teenage girls in Anglo-Saxon society and how like 20 or 30, 30 years ago, a 14-year-old girl would just look pretty, but be pure and wholesome, yeah? In generalized sense, we're talking about. I mean, when I went to school, there were a few sluts, that's for sure. But... In a generalised sense, now it seems like, you know, there's estrogen in the water or something, I don't know. But uh, 14-year-old girls are just dressing like um, prostitutes and, and acting the same as well. well they're really, really over-sexualised. Um, and here in Holland, the girls are not like that at all. It's like beautiful girls, pretty girls. Um, they dress nicely. They act demurely. They, um, it's... It's a really healthy culture. It's a really healthy culture. I wrote the post Europe versus Australia um, a few months ago about how I thought that Europe is a much better place, both economically and culturally, most importantly, to be able to survive this this assault from progressive left-wing ideology and the Muslim Islamic world as well, and how Australia is not... And, and every Australian that read it just about agreed with me on the economic sense but disagreed with me on the cultural sense apparently australia is so far in front and just like the 
Dutch have believed the mainstream media here and believe that Australia has stopped all immigration and Australia just looks like white people still. So too, Australians look at the media and believe that Europe is just a wash in, in illegal migrants from Africa that's coming in. And it, it's not the case, guys. It's not the case. Dutch is, Holland is so far in front. So far in front. I heard, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, from XYZ, David, because he's been over to Europe just the other week for his first visit. And he said to him, it seemed, he was in England, he seemed like the, the British are just so full of shame. Uh, it's like this sadomasochistic self-flagellation of their past colonial years that they just want to destroy their own society. And it seems to me that Germany is on the same the same suicidal, cultural uh, self-destruction wave as well based on you know what happened with the Nazis in World War Two, but but the other nations aren't going to be taken down with them, you know. Even um, even France, like Paris, I've got a couple of good mates who live in the centre of Paris, and they're like it's not full of Muslims. Yeah, we've had a couple of attacks, but they're all in their ghettos. And when we when we eventually want to, want to get rid of them and have the the political means to do it, we will we'll get rid of them. Send the army in. See you later. Uh, so I stick by, after a month in Holland, five weeks in Holland, I stand by what I wrote in that article, um, and uh, if anything, I undervalued how far in front Europe is and how much trouble Australia is at this moment in time. Um, I can't see Australia crawling out of this hole. I think we're going to see... in just a few years whites becoming a minority status in australia and then all the immigrants are going to be voting in whatever the hell they want um i think it's going to get very very ugly i think what you might find is like states like western australia which and northern territory which are and maybe north queensland which are apart from the areas of australia being really taken over by immigrants might actually break apart and secede I mean, like white ethno states or something like that. Personally, I think that's how Australia might go in the not too distant future. So maybe if you are living in Australia, the place to be is like somewhere like Western Australia or far north Queensland. Um, but um, overall impressions of Holland, just it's also summer. Now, that doesn't mean it's hot, um, but it hasn't been too bad. I managed to get a tan. Overall impressions of Holland, really, really good, really good. Um, we're going to, um, we're still, we're still working out. Look, stuff arrived two days ago. I've still got stuff in boxes. I still haven't unpacked everything. It's still haven't. Nothing's got a place. And more importantly, as soon as we find a place to purchase a house, I mean, we could be gone of this rental place within six to twelve months. So. Um, it's not like we're well. We've made the house look good, but uh, it's not like we're sitting down here. <laughs> you know, we're we're looking to buy, and uh, and it's quite an exciting time. Um, also got some job prospects lined up. I've already had an interview that went very well since I've been here. So, but it's the summer holidays now, so things kind of grind to a halt. But that's all looking pretty cool as well. Um, and I've had some great. I've got started on my third book again, which was completely stalled. Um. Just, I just really hadn't understood how the last six months, 
last six months for me have been probably really some of the toughest, oh, not toughest, but really challenging because my wife, good wife and I came to Europe in January for a skiing holiday in Italy and then to see the folks. And it was in that time that we made the decision to definitely move back to Europe. And it's taken us six months to do it, which is actually pretty fast. Um, but the whole six months have been treading water and killing time, knowing it's one thing to be in a place and you don't really want to be it, but you mentally set yourself in for it. But when you know, when mentally you're already gone, but physically you haven't been able to get there yet, it's a, uh, it's a really tough time. And so uh, it was really challenging. Um, and... You know, I was dreaming of this moment where I was able to record my first podcast on my computer, on my gear, here in my new place uh, in Holland. And here we are, six months later, doing it. This is the first episode. Um, so it's 51st episode, 51, but it's like one, you know, it's the first one. Uh, and... If you're not happy where you are... Like they say, there's, there's a saying like you can change your location, but you'll take your problems with you. And that's true up to a point. That is true up to a point. But also a change of, um, a change of physical, physical location can work wonders. If you're not in the right place physically, if it's, it's not where you want to be, then that change. Coming back to Europe here, I've just got so much more creative energy than I've had in the last six years. Um, stepping foot onto European soil after I got off the plane four weeks ago was like coming home. For me, Europe feels like home. Um, and I feel I feel a lot more centred here. Uh, it's a place that I want to be. And so that, that physical location thing can really help. And in my first book too, I mean, I got out of Perth, went to Sydney. It was then that I really started to, 25 years ago, when I really started to get somewhere with my life. So the point is, these physical location changes can make a huge difference um, for the better. Uh, and you've just got to go and do it. you just got to... Yeah. As long as you've got the permission to be where you're going, that's the important thing. Don't don't go in somewhere illegally because you're not able to. You're always vulnerable to to petty bureaucracy. You're always you you, you want to be. So let, let's say you're able to go to a place and you're able to get there legally, but you've just got to have some money saved up. And you, get, you don't need that much. Just rock up, get yourself set, and you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to scramble. You're going to have to. Gonna get you're gonna have to get out there and hustle, but hustle's good for you. Just like uh, going to the gym, stressing your muscles uh, makes your body physically grow. Stressing your brain, having tough times where you where you're worried, you're stressed a little bit, you got to hustle, but it's a positive stress um, can have a huge effect on 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 how you you grow uh, as a person, as a man. Remember, as men, we have to make ourselves. We have to get out there and get things done. So uh, I'm really excited. This is um, this is going to be good. Um, I'm even thinking of getting some stuff going with my music again after all these years. So I'm going to check out some Dutch musos and stuff and see who I can hook up with. So we'll see if anything comes out of that. It might, it might not. 
I probably, out of 100 things I say, probably about five I get done, 95 I don't, but those five are a lot more than other people manage. So we'll just have to see. Anyway, shout outs. Um, the good the good Cappy at Captain Capitalism. Um, he's kind of been on holidays, um, but he's back and posting again as of uh, this month, a lot more regularly. He's got a long post up about the left and He's got some, let's have a look on his YouTube channel. He's got, um, he's put up a whole bunch more um, videos there. So, um, he's got one. Here we go. Rick from one day ago. Request, you must escape your hometown. Um, let's have a look. Every young man and woman must leave their hometown to grow and evolve as an adult. So there we go. Um, what I've been saying all this podcast, yeah? Um, so, um, check out Cappy, uh, check out his books, check out his podcast, check out his YouTube channel, check out his, um, uh, asshole consultancy firm. Uh, he's definitely one of the most genuine people working out on the internet today. Um, honest as they come, honest to a fault, which is probably why he hasn't earned as much money as he could have if he was a certifiable con man. Um, so uh, go to captaincapitalism.com and check all his stuff out. Um, that's it for me. Um, thanks for having some patience and waiting for the podcast to come back. I, I just didn't want to record it on dicky inbuilt microphones on my laptop, and I, I doubt whether the laptop would have been able to handle it, to be honest with you. So um, this will be back to every Wednesday. Um, my name is Adam Piggott. You can check out my blog at pushingrubberdownhill.com. You can buy my two books on uh, Pushing Rubber Downhill and Run Guts Pull Cones on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and anywhere online. You can order them for any bookshop you want. You can get them on Kindle, you can get them on paperback and audiobook for the first book. Uh, so check those out. Uh, it's, it's summer holidays. You want some holiday reading? My books are absolutely perfect for that and perfect for a bit of inspiration to get you moving, to get you up off your ass and doing something. Um, so I'll post this up now. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this and if you listen to a few po- my podcasts, click follow on SoundCloud, uh, share it with your friends on Facebook, leave a review on iTunes, um, post some comments on this. I appreciate all the comments I get, even if I might not comment back myself. I read all of them and I appreciate all of them. Um, even when they're saying that I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible person. Um, and um, I'll see you next week.